Our guest today, Andrew Deitch, lives and breathes content. He's a digital marketer, podcast host. He's launched and directed three podcasts. He's a world traveler, college dropout, and entrepreneur. He's a creative director for For Media Marketing, which is now Bad Marketing, for the last few years, which is an e-commerce brand that focuses on paid advertising and content creation for all digital platforms. Since starting at Four Media, his team has created thousands of pieces of cutting edge, disruptive content for 150 plus DTC brands. He's created and directed their own reality TV show, podcast, and first event, which is called Agency Founders Live. The content that he has created and directed has racked up billions of organic views on social. He's also won the Shorty Award in YouTube, which is an annual YouTube awards program that recognizes the best work in digital and social media content. He is a master at both short form and long form content. I have known Andrew since seventh grade. He is my longest friend and we have stayed connected for this long. And it's been really cool to see the journey of him being self-taught in video and editing and going to college, dropping out of college, starting a podcast, doing YouTube, really following his heart and creative pursuits, and ultimately then becoming a creative director for an amazing agency. I've watched as he has worked there, this agency has grown and grown, and I can really see the impact that he has had there. And more than that, he's just an awesome thinker. He really, he's kind of like a nerd in a really good way. He researches things to the nth degree and he knows a lot of random facts and he just really, really thinks about the concepts that he speaks on. And so I'm really excited for you to listen to this episode today. Andrew. Yes. You work in a creative profession now. Were you always creative? Like what were you like as a child? (laughs) Yeah, I was I was always pretty creative, um, always played with like Legos and like connects and stuff like that, like making home movies. And yeah, like I've, I've always definitely been creative. I've always been in like art classes and stuff. And it, it's, it's funny though, cause I'd never really thought that I would be a creative professional necessarily, but I just like, I just like doing that kind of stuff. Did you ever have an answer for what you wanted to do when you grew up? Um, not really. Like I didn't, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. Um, I think probably if I was like born earlier or or born later, I probably would have wanted to be like a YouTuber, honestly, which is like, I feel like such a funny thing now. Cause I feel like every kid like wants to be a YouTuber, but that wasn't really like a thing when we were kids. So like, yeah, I, I, I didn't really know exactly, but, um, yeah, my, my mom like signed us up for like surveys and focus groups and stuff like that. So I just got like very nerdy about like um, advertising and like commercials and stuff like that. So then eventually over time, I realized like maybe that was something that I was like interested in and wanted to do. These survey groups and focus groups, what do you mean by that? So basically like you sign up for these like these companies um, that are uh contracted by like large brands and things will will contract these um, companies that run these like surveys and focus groups and a survey is more like you're doing it by yourself a focus group is like you're um 
you're participating in a group setting where there's like a moderator. So basically what happens is um, a lot of times it's for food where they do like taste tests to make sure that like a, a certain new sandwich from um, Arby's is going to be received well by the public. And they'll ask you all kinds of crazy questions. Like they'll be like, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate the craveability of this sandwich? <laughs> like, like stuff like that, where they're like asking you like, would you crave this sandwich later? Like, would, if you pass an Arby's, would you, like, go inside? And it's funny because a lot of times they won't tell you what the brand is until the very end so that you don't get, um, like, affected Biased. by the brand. You're just being affected by the food itself. Because obviously, like, if you know a hamburger is from McDonald's versus, like, Five Guys, in your head, you're automatically going to think the Five Guys one is going to be better, you know, or whatever. Um, so, like... That would be an interesting thing. So so surveys were like a way that my mom would like help us like make money as a kid and stuff like that. She'd sign ups up for like all of them. And then focus groups um, are basically like um, they would give you a product um, sometimes like ahead of time. Um, sometimes it was like when we were when I was really young, it was like toys where they would give you a toy um, to play with for like a couple weeks and they would talk about it or they would like bring you in. And we, they would show you some ads for different toys and then they would give you fake money so that you could go shopping in this little fake uh, setting that they made with all these toys on a, on a wall and you could pick what you wanted to spend your money on uh, based on the ads that you'd watched, which is pretty interesting. And like it's it's wild because they put in so much effort and energy to try to figure out like if the product is going to be viable if anyone really wants this thing, if their marketing strategy is good. Because if you think about it, like marketing is is an, a huge investment. So if they're going to spend like tons and tons of money to not only produce these commercials and make this stuff, that's not really the part that costs the most. Running the ads and spending all the money to actually like place the ads, you know, on TV and stuff, that's what's the real investment. So it's like if they know that these ads are already going to flop before they uh, run them, they might as well try a different approach or whatever. So in these like focus groups, they would kind of try to figure that out. And because I did so many of them, um, I probably wasn't like a perfect candidate. Like they don't want people that have been in a million focus groups because then you start to get skewed. But like for me, I actually thought that I was a better uh, answerer because of how many that I'd been in, because I could actually think about a lot of those questions where some people like might not even really I don't know, the craveability. I don't know. You know what I mean? But like maybe I was already kind of thinking of those things. So yeah, that's kind of like how I started to be kind of interested in maybe like commercials and ads and things like that. And um, so yeah, that's kind of like what, what I like finally pursued. That's super interesting. And it sounds like your mom is kind of, I feel like both of your parents are kind of entrepreneurial, right? Yeah, definitely. So my mom growing up, uh, owned a women's clothing boutique. And then when she had me and my brother, she sold her like half of the business to her business partner and like homeschooled us, um, which is really cool. Um, honestly, like really grateful for that just cause like I got to spend so much time like with my mom and stuff and kind of in those formative years, just being able to do all kinds of cool stuff. Cause we weren't being like constrained by the system or whatever. Um, and yeah, like she always, I mean, she's like my biggest fan, honestly, like my mom is awesome and she did the, the boutique thing. And then later on she got involved in a multi-level marketing company, like pyramid scheme type of uh company. Uh, and it's funny though, because I like watched her, uh, you know, build that business, whatever. 
And I always thought it was really cool. Like I was like, oh damn, this is like a cool way that you can like make money. Um, you could take it as seriously as you want to. And, you know, I just thought that was always like a very interesting uh, path. And it's funny too, because you start, when you're in one of those types of companies, you learn a lot about other people in your life. And you learn about the people that really support you no matter what. And you learn about the people that don't really have your back. Um, and you learn uh, how your actions can like affect your relationships. Because I think a lot of people go through life with like the same friends over time and they don't really ever like push the boundaries of what that relationship really looks like. And it's like once you, you know, ask your friend like, hey, would you want to like go into business with me or would you want to come to this like event that I'm putting on? And then they like don't show up. It's like, wow, like, do you even care about me at all? You know, like and it kind of um, it kind of weeds out some people in your life for better, or for worse. Um, if you do go about it the wrong way, uh, Eric Worre, he's like a big MLM speaker. He always says you become a member of the NFL. You become a member of the no friends left because you literally alienate all your friends because you've annoyed the shit out of everybody and you've predicated all of your relationships on whether or not they joined your business. And most people aren't going to do that. So like you just burn all of your bridges for money and you're just, you know, it puts, it puts life into perspective and it puts like that business entrepreneurial journey just on like fast forward because so many of it's kind of like a franchise. Like my dad owns a dip and dots franchise. It kind of puts a lot of that on fast forward because he didn't have to like come up with the product. He didn't have to ideate any like really much. He didn't have to like figure out the infrastructure. He just had to invest and like actually, you know, uh, get the location, pay the franchise fee. And like all of a sudden he's running like a business and getting employees and stuff like that. So it's kind of the same thing. It's like you kind of like fast track a business because you didn't you didn't have to come up with all this stuff. You just have to figure out how to sell it. Right. Right. Yeah. I feel like MLMs is such a controversial topic because everyone, like everyone either hates them or like if the people at the top who are making a lot of money love it and think it's incredible. Well, I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole if you want to, but I mean, I think in general, um, if it is a business where most of the customers of the product are not financially interested or uh, like, uh, you know, business owners, or they haven't bought like whatever package you have to do to like, become a person that wants to make money, then you're no different than a retailer, because you're just selling this product and getting commission for doing so. And there's nothing wrong with affiliate, like, like, people don't talk shit on affiliates that much, like, but affiliates are basically doing the same thing. It's like you buy this thing through my link and I get a kickback. It's like the same thing with a pyramid like scheme, whatever MLM. The the difference is most of the time that there's a financial incentive attached to it. And most people involved in the business don't give a fuck about the actual product or wouldn't necessarily be a customer of that product unless there was a financial incentive attached. And then that's where things get hairy. Yeah, totally. Okay. So let's fast forward to 2017. Yeah. That's a big year for you. Definitely. Yeah. So what what was happening for you at 2017? 2017, um, I was working like two jobs or maybe one job at the time. I can't remember. I was working at, at Lifetime Fitness. And then I was also working at this like escape game place. I was living with my parents. Like I was not making much money. I was living in Georgia. Um, and I really like one of my friends invited me to come on his podcast 
And like, I thought that was cool. And at the time I was very into, um, you know, self-development. That's one thing that like multi-level marketing and stuff, uh, like teaches you. Cause also fast forward, like I got involved in, in a company like that in college. And, um, that was like the first time that I started to realize like, okay, like maybe my parents don't know everything. Maybe my, maybe like I should listen to people. Maybe I should like open up my mind and like, not just listen to like the people that I've been taught to kind of listen to my whole life. Cause at the end of the day, uh, you know, it's like, if I want to be like a millionaire and I'm taking advice from someone who's never made more than a hundred thousand dollars a year, then like, doesn't make sense. the, the, The math ain't math. And so like, uh, Basically, like in 2017, I was I was very I had a I had a cool network. And actually, funny enough, most of the coolest people in my network were people from that MLM company that ended up going off and doing amazing things. And I still to this day would say that probably like the majority of like the coolest people in my life that like have gone on to do like really amazing things. I have I know them through that company. Um, well, it makes sense because the types of people who would be interested in that kind of thing is like people who are like, hu- n- like hustlers, not meaning like. Yeah, but they're a hustler. Like they, like they're, they're, they're going to make gonna it happen. They're going to exactly. grind. Like they, they they're going to figure it out. Yeah. yeah. They're going to they, go they, for it. They want more from life. They're going to, they're going to squeeze the freaking juice out of everything they've got. So like, um, at the time I felt like I really wanted to, you know, do something more. My friend, my friend Graham invited me to come on his podcast. And I remember, uh, it was audio only and he had like this whole mixer board and all this stuff. And like, um, we recorded it. I think we recorded it at his house or something, but I just remember like, uh, it, it was really fun. Uh, but I just remember being like, number one, if this is going to be kind of like, a um, uh, something that I want to do, I would want to have like a more condensed, like setup or whatever. And then I realized like, well, if Graham can do a podcast, like I can do a podcast. And I was like obsessed with podcasts at the time. Uh, number one for me was like Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, like guys that were doing a lot of interview podcasts. So I was like, I'm going to start my own podcast. And I was, I was like, I'm just going to do audio only. Um, I'm, and I was living at my parents' house. I had no studio or anything. So my whole thing was like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be trying to get, you know, successful people on my podcast and stuff like that. And so I will just go to them. And so I wanted to optimize for just as like room as, as portable of a setup as I could have, and that I could just easily go to someone's place, record with them and put out an episode, whatever. And, um, so in 2017, I launched it on my birthday actually. So that was like May 28th. I did that on purpose because I knew like at the time it was kind of like a little hack. Um, at the time I knew like on f- like Facebook was still decently important. I feel like at that time and uh, a lot of people would go onto your page on your birthday because it would give you a notification and people would wish you happy birthday. So I changed my profile picture to like my new podcast logo and all this stuff. And I was like, hey, instead of giving me a birthday present or whatever, I mean, most people aren't going to give me a birthday present, but it's kind of like, hey, if you want to give me a cool birthday present, listen to my podcast and like rate it five stars on iTunes or whatever. And um, so that was like how I launched it. And I launched it with like a handful of episodes. And my goal was just like I knew right off the bat that I wanted to run it up to a hundred episodes, like as soon as possible. Like that was like my, my goal was like, get to a hundred. Cause as soon as you're at a hundred, you're like fully established. Like no one is like doubting you. 
um, people that are maybe potentially not going to be a guest on your podcast, go and look at it. And they're like, oh, wow, like I can't even scroll through all of these and see all who's been on here. Like this, this must be like a good podcast, you know? And that was kind of like my imposter syndrome a little bit being like all these other podcasters that I looked up to, they all had like hundreds of episodes and stuff. And so I was just like, I just need to crank volume because also I knew that I only had so much time where people could give me the benefit of the doubt for being amateur. So like, I knew that if I just like cranked episodes, um, I could hopefully get, I could learn a lot, get a lot of really good guests under my belt. And then once I hit like a hundred, maybe at that point, I'll get my own studio. I'll change it to video and hopefully get taken more seriously. I can get more guests. And like pretty much that's what I did. I think in my first year, I got to 92 or three episodes and I got to a hundred like pretty quickly after that. So I was doing like, I was releasing more than two episodes a week um, for like a whole year, which is crazy. That's insane. Yeah. Now looking at it, I'm like, holy shit. Wow. But mostly they were audio. So it wasn't as much work. For sure. For sure. Okay. So you started your podcast, but you were still living at your parents' house. What was the bridge that got you from that place into becoming the creative director for four media? Like that's kind of a big jump. Like what, what happened there? So basically like I, before I was doing my, my podcast, I, during the summer, a couple summers, like when I was 21 and 22, I was like an au pair. So I was living in Italy and then I lived in Spain. And during that time, I was always like taking tons of, at, at the time it was like Snapchat stories. So like posting tons of Snapchat stories. And uh, I still didn't have like a professional camera or anything. I was still just filming it all on my phone. But I think a lot of people started to realize that like, oh, Andrew's like, kind of, um, you know, in that world a little bit. And I went to a, a conference, a very small conference um, in Florida by this guy named Ryan McGinn, actually shout out Ryan. Um, he's, uh, he's killing it now. Um, but he basically did a little class on like how to build your personal brand and how to film vertical videos. And, um, that really helped me because then I was, I started to wrap my head around what I needed to do to start filming videos for, um, like reels wasn't even a thing. And IGTV was just about to be released. So he was kind of like predicting the writing on the wall of like, everything's going vertical, go all in on vertical right now. Uh, and at the time it was just stories. So, uh, he was basically like, make a little vlog for your stories. Like every day I challenge you that. And like, for sure, people will just start to like, uh, opportunities will just come cause you just like become like kind of interesting. And so I started to do that. And, um, I think a lot of people that like followed me and stuff realized like, Oh wow. You know, Andrew's like getting, you know, Andrew's good at this or whatever. And my friend Eddie that I knew through Vima, which was the MLM company that I was involved in when I um, was in college, he, over the years had been kind of hitting me up like, yo man, like let's do something together. I've got this marketing agency, but I didn't really know much about it to be honest. And like, he was always kind of doing little side things. So I wasn't really sure exactly like what project he was like on at the time. And I was always like, ah, I'm doing this thing or, oh, I'm doing my podcast. And then, um, I had a guest on my podcast, um, named Richard Corbett and he was a paraplegic and, uh, we did an awesome episode of the podcast. And then maybe like a few months after we did the podcast, 
uh, we had a mutual friend named Kat and Kat, I also had on my podcast. That's how uh, Richard and Kat met. Like, it's crazy how many amazing, like foundational relationships I made through the podcast. That was also like another thing was I was like, I just want to grow my network because I knew the importance of like growing your network and who you know and surrounding yourself with people that are like like-minded and want to be successful. So that was like another kind of hack for me with the podcast was I didn't really care about the listeners. It was just a way for me to not really climb the ladder, but almost just kind of like, how can I connect with more successful people that are actually like making shit happen in Atlanta and stuff like that. And so anyways, Richard and Kat started talking and Richard uh, wanted to make a YouTube channel helping wheelchair users improve their quality of life and, um, you know, just show them that you don't have to be a freaking, you know, you don't have to live in your parents' house forever after you get injured with a spinal cord injury. You can live an amazing life. You can have a girlfriend. You can move out of your parents' house. You can go to the gym and get jacked. You can have fun. You can go to music festivals. You can have an amazing life. You just have to figure out how to do it because the world is not made for wheelchair users. And at the time, uh, Kat was like, okay, Richard, how much money do you have to pay someone to like help you with this YouTube channel thing? And he was like, uh, about this much. And she was like, all right, Andrew, you want to quit your job. How much money do you need per month to be able to quit your job? And I was like, uh, about this much. And there was a little bit of a gap, but she's like, I'll help you figure out how to make the rest of the money. Let's quit your job. Let's start working with Richard and I'll help you uh, come up with the, with an offer that we can uh, sell. And at the time it was like podcast consulting and that kind of, I made a lot of mistakes there. Um, but not necessarily, it, I'm glad that I did it, but uh, I ended up not really pursuing the podcast uh, consulting as much. Cause there was just, I think I went about it the wrong way, but anyways, me and Richard started working together and Richard, uh, we, uh, long story short, we blew up the YouTube channel. One of our first videos got like over a million views. Uh, we hit the trending page multiple times. We won it. We ultimately won a shorty award, um, for that, which is really cool. Um, like the year prior, like Jay Shetty won that same award in the same category. Um, um, who's the dude that, um, is always like running and he's like, who's going to carry the boats? What's that guy's name? But, uh, Goggins. Oh, David Goggins. Goggins. David Goggins was in the running for, so we won for health and wellness in the shorty awards. David Goggins is one of our competitors. We beat David Goggins. Like wow. we beat a bunch of people. Wow. Um, which is pretty cool. It sucked though. Cause when we won it, it was during COVID. So like we didn't actually get to attend the, uh, um. actual award ceremony, which would have been really cool. But anyways, um, so Richard and I started working together and we eventually the, the wheels to walking podcast, that was the name of the channel wheels to walking, uh, just became a bigger animal than the Andrew Deitch podcast ever was. And so it kind of felt like I was like trying to like warm up this little fire over here, like get this little tiny fire started versus like Focusing. the wheels to walking podcast was already like a blazing fire. So we completely, um, pivoted from the Andrew Deitch podcast to the Wheels to Walking podcast, which was a co-hosted podcast with Richard and I. And then eventually Richard and I just kind of got to the point where we were parting ways and Eddie hit me up again and was like, hey, I'm uh, building out this new content division of our digital marketing agency. We just got an office. Uh, let's talk. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually kind of open to talking at this point. So we had a meeting. It was like they had just moved into the office like a week before. 
Um, and I think I was probably about the, I don't know, maybe between like the 10th and 15th higher, uh, definitely even less than that within the United States, we had like a bunch of kind of like traditional, like VAs, um, at at the time in the company. So I don't really know how many exactly there were, but, uh, I was pretty early on, which was awesome. And yeah, the rest is kind of history, I guess. (laughs) Can you describe your role at for media, well, which yeah. is now bad marketing. Yeah, now it's bad marketing. So um, basically, I am over two departments. There's the client-facing side where we have e-commerce brands that essentially ship us their products and we make ads for them for social media. And then I have the internal content department that's making content specifically for the company um, and that we're posting on our own channels and things like that. So our YouTube channel, um, the, the podcast, we, we also have a, a podcast and things like that. And that's, that was like my next podcasting journey was jumping from wheels to walking podcast to the four media uncut podcast, which is now the bad marketing podcast. We just rebranded. We merged with a really big agency called Heman media group. They're really, really amazing at, um, uh, media buying and like they're absolute savages and we've worked with them in the past quite a bit we have an event called agency founders that we do in january um where we've partnered with heman for the last two years on that so it was like a very we like dated them for a very long time and like now we're married (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) okay so why do you feel like content because you're really in the content world like short form and long form which is really cool um because you have kind of both sides of the the coin why do you feel like content creation for anyone but especially entrepreneurs solopreneurs um e-commerce brands small businesses is important um Yeah, that's, it's a really big question. I think like, (laughs) it's funny because if you go back to what the word content even means, it's like, it kind of is, doesn't really mean any, like it's, it's literally anything. Like if you talk to traditional marketers that have been in the game for a very long time, content to them is a blog post. So like they like written, you know, I would probably more call it a blog post or whatever, but it's like, when you think of content, you know, what does that mean? That can mean so many things, but I think at the end of the day, um, for me, you have to command a certain amount of attention in order to have a successful business. And like, in order to have a, a, in order to have a successful business, um, like you need to either be dependent on some things. Um, like you need to be dependent on like funding or whatever, like you could not put out content. Um, but like, you, you're probably just going to have a, a problem with getting getting eyeballs and getting people interested in what you're doing. Um, and so obviously, like if you're serving, uh, you know, you're serving people and you need customers or clients or whatever, like making content is probably one of the best investments you can make because you're going to be able to reach like so many different people. When it comes to content nowadays for entrepreneurs, I like to think about like day trading attention, like Gary V talks about that, like day trading attention, the average person, I mean, you, ha- you, ha- you, everyone has the same amount of hours in a day, whittle that down to the hours that you're awake, whittle that down to the hours that you're consuming content, right? Like there's only so much content that you can consume. And I mean, that's why personally I'm 
so passionate about audio content is because you can consume way more audio content than you could ever consume of video content because you can use audio content. You can listen to audio content while you're doing other stuff. Um, and I think for a lot of people that are, uh, you know, like successful people that you'd probably want to listen to your podcast, you kind of need to give them a way to digest your stuff in the easiest way possible where they can also, you know, digest the most amount of stuff uh, without it feeling like it's just overkill. And sometimes actually I've noticed that even some of my favorite YouTubers, they are almost making their videos so good that I don't feel like I feel like I need to give them my full attention to watch the video. And then I don't because I don't have the time. And it's like versus some of these other YouTubers that are just way more casual and not really putting a ton of effort into their edits and stuff. I will like be more likely to, you know, maybe when I'm like making breakfast or something, I might just like play one of their videos and it's almost like a podcast where I'm just listening to them. Maybe I'll look over, maybe I'll zone out for a minute, but it doesn't really fucking matter because they're kind of just talking about random stuff or whatever. Um, but that's why I love podcasts because you can consume more hours per day. Like I think about how many hours of my life, literally probably days of my life that people have listened or that I've listened to like Joe Rogan. Like I know Joe Rogan so well because I've just listened to him interview people and talk to people for so long. Um, and I think about even my podcast, like there's literally uh, like over, I think I added it up one time. And if you try to listen to all the episodes of my podcast back to back, it would be like a week and a half of just solid listening, which is insane to think about just listening to the whole thing. It would take that long. So it's, and then there's, there's people that have probably listened to like most of them. So it's kind of crazy to think about even that regard, but I think it's, it's definitely super important because, um, you need to command attention. Attention is really kind of the only asset at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's, it's the one thing that you can't get more of. No one on earth can get more time. So you have to figure out ways to collapse time and you have to figure out ways to like create leverage and like creating content is just a way of just figuring out how to get into people's like attention sphere. Cause there's only so much that people can pay attention to and you kind of like have to get in there. Do you have any advice on that? Because I know that, you know, everything is becoming more saturated. There's more YouTubers than ever. There's more yeah. podcasters than ever. There's more people on Instagram and, you know, already so many people complain about the algorithm and about how their stuff isn't getting shown to people. And that's just because there's more users and more active people creating content. So do you have any, any advice on the future of content? Um, yeah, I, I definitely do. I think like number one, if people are complaining that their stuff isn't getting shown, um, I think like that's coming from a place of entitlement because y you are not owed views. You know what I mean? Like views are not something that you should just expect to get. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of people out there creating really valuable stuff that's not getting views. So you have to kind of play this dance of like, you know, um, what's going to get views on what platform? I mean, I, I think like Gary V has a lot of negative things about him, especially with a lot of the stuff that came out with V friends and a lot of the NFT stuff that it's very unsavory, but I used to listen to a lot of Gary V. And, um, one thing that he would always talk about is like the idea that, um, 
you know, when you're creating, when you're creating content, you have to speak the language of the platform that you're making content for. So a post that might blow up on, and, and you know, this is back in the day before everything was just essentially TikToks, like reels, TikTok, YouTube shorts, like everything is becoming just like vertical scrolling, algorithmically uh, delivered content. So it's kind of like everything's kind of becoming all one thing. And it's, I think we're going to probably see like some really like changes there hopefully soon because I think everyone's getting a little bit tired of it. But you have to speak the language of the platform that you're on. So if you're on TikTok and you're making content, obviously you have to make something that is going to get people to stick around because I, as a TikTok user, am not choosing what to watch next. I'm letting the algorithm choose for me. So if I'm given the chance, like it's, it's like your content is going to get tested. Maybe they'll show it to one person. Maybe they'll show it to two people. Maybe they'll show it to three people. Maybe they'll show it to four people. If four out of four people make it past the first 10 seconds, that's a signal to TikTok that the video is watchable and good, quote unquote, good, good to them. is just watch time, you know, but, um, that doesn't mean that it's actually valuable or useful to the world. It's probably not, but, um, <laughs> but like basically, um, speak the language of the platform that you're on. Something that's going to, uh, do well on YouTube as a long form piece of content is not going to do well as, you know, an Instagram reel or as right. a story or whatever. Um, so you have to really tap into the psychology of the person who is, uh, using those platforms. And it baffles me when people try to go make a podcast and I'm like, Oh, what are your, some of your favorite podcasts? And they're like, Oh, I don't really listen to podcasts. And I'm like, what makes you think that you're going to be able to make a good podcast if you don't even listen to podcasts and you have no idea what someone who want someone who actively listens to podcasts, what do they want? And what is a nice, pleasing listening experience for them? What are things that bug you when you're listening to podcasts? Those are the things that I take into consideration. And those are the things that I take into consideration when I'm making content for platforms. I don't really make content for platforms that I don't use because I don't, I don't, that's not authentic to me. You know what I mean? And, um, I, I think like people get into that trap where they're like, Oh, I need to go viral on TikTok," And it's like, how much, how many hours a day are you spending on TikTok? Oh, I, uh, I don't know. I don't really like TikTok. And it's like, okay, well then why the fuck do you think that it's going to be, your content's going to be valuable there? I completely agree. It's like pick a platform that you actually enjoy and that you are actively on and then create content there. Like exactly. everyone thinks they need to be on all the things and it's like, oh, TikTok is the next big thing. And um, it's like, do you enjoy it? And if, it, if you do, then get on there. If not, then don't and stick to Instagram or start a podcast or start a YouTube channel or other type of content that you enjoy. Yeah, and I think about it in like, People kind of know the word meme as like they, they have an idea of what a meme is, but a meme is actually anything that is like culturally um, like relevant that permeates through like society, like deeper than just whatever the original like thing was or whatever. So like, for example, like hieroglyphics are like actually a representing representation of like memetics, which is literally like memes. So like memes are like a way that culturally we like almost disseminate like information that you can't really even fully just describe. Yeah. And I actually have had a lot of epiphanies like where I've been like listening to a DJ set, for example, and they'll drop some random 
sound bite from a vine from like six years ago. And it just like unlocks this like nostalgia in my brain. And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. They sampled this random stupid vine sound, but that has like permeated culture deeper than whatever the actual sound represents. It represents something more than that. So like, I think, um, like memes and kind of like meme culture and like whatever that means is kind of like the language of social media and the language of the internet. And as soon as you kind of come in and you're like, hello, fellow kids, like people can sniff that out immediately because they realize you're not actually a part of the culture. You're just, you're, you're just coming in there because you want something and you're a taker. And like a lot of people, like I've heard this term a lot recently, like culture vultures where you're just coming in and you're like, like a lot of times I've seen this where it's like, these like suburban white kids are coming in and like trying to do stuff in hip hop or whatever. And it's like, they're just being like culture vultures, whatever. And, uh, I see that a lot when it comes to TikTok. and it's like, how do I go viral on TikTok? It's like, that's not really the question you should be asking yourself. You should be asking yourself, like, why, why do I want to go viral on TikTok? Like, why do I like, what is TikTok? Why would something go viral on there? What, like, is your algorithm even like curated to you or have you spent such little time on there that all it is is people twerking, you know? Good point. Mic drop. Now, do you guys have a formula or just kind of a template for when you create different ads with your agency? Like, is there something that generally works well for content creation and video creation and ads? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, when you think about video production, typically, you know, you have kind of this uh, ideation process where you're, you know, brainstorming, you're coming up with ideas, and then like, we're going to come up with a shot list. And then we're going to try to like figure out the edit kind of like a little bit ahead of time. So we like know what shots we're going to need and things like that. And when it comes to e commerce, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're selling, you know, it's it's marketing. So you don't need to come up with these videos that are so like, story based or like skit based um you know i think that's where a lot of people's minds just kind of like default to they're like okay let's say we're um marketing a uh pre-workout and it's like the like default ad that a lot of people kind of just like in their brains go to is like oh let's show a guy uh that's like trying to lift in the gym but like doesn't have enough energy and then we give him the pre-workout and then he's got tons of energy (laughs) and like maybe like a girl comes up and talks to him you know what i mean yeah very literal it's like that's that's cool but also like as soon as i watch that it's cheesy as fuck like it's like okay what are you doing here so it's like um, you, it, it's, it's like, you kind of have this fusion of like branding, you know, there, there's, there is a difference between like branding, marketing and advertising. Right. So it's like, you've got kind of these three things and a lot of people kind of just put them all in one bucket in their head, but it's like, you have to have a strong brand because brand is something that's like, you should always be iterating on and something that is like, you know, it, it's almost like the culture of your, uh, you know, what represents the product and stuff like that. And like, who's buying it, what vibe does it give off, like things like that. And then you've got like the the marketing side, which is like the angles that we're doing to try to like, you know, um, figure out like who is our target, you know, demographic and things. And then there's like advertising, which is like the technical kind of like side of it. And maybe I'm not describing that fully perfectly, but basically it's like you kind of have to think about it from, again, a point of psychology and understanding your target demographic. So 
there's different types of frameworks for ads that are going to work better for different types of products and different types of audiences. And, um, you know, there's, there's some things that kind of generally work, but also you have to like consider the fact that, um, uh, trends change like very quickly. Uh, when I first started at, at for media, the general types of ads that we were making, a lot of them were like unboxing videos. Um, a lot of them were, um, product demonstration, uh, problem solution, side-by-side comparison type stuff. Um, and then like a spokesperson video, uh, typically is like, like a lot of, a lot of men's products do really well with like a spokesperson video because a lot of guys, they want to kind of trust someone that they respect to give them advice on what to do. They don't know how to dress. So what do they do? They find someone that they think knows how to dress and then they just follow their advice. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to buy. Tell me what to wear, whatever. Women, on the other hand, are a lot more sophisticated on that side of things. So they're going to take inspiration from a lot more different areas and whatever. They don't necessarily want someone to just come in and be like classic, classic spokesperson ad, the old spice guy. You know what I mean? It's not really exactly a spokesperson thing, but it's like the super handsome guy that's funny, witty. And at the end, he's like, you know, use old spice, blah, blah, blah. And it just kind of goes in your brain like, okay, yeah, like this guy, you know, represents what old spice is to, to me. Uh, sure. Maybe I want to look like that. Maybe I want to wear it. Feel like and that. products like that are so interesting because like the LTV lifetime value of a customer that is buying deodorant or toothpaste or shampoo. How often are, how often are men changing that? Not often. Women on the other hand might be changing that stuff more frequently, but like the lifetime value of those Old Spice commercials, fuck, like I can't even imagine what that looks like. And it's probably hard to calculate, but like I've been using the same Old Spice deodorant for so long and it's like, why? I don't know. It just works. And like, I don't think about it. You know what I mean? And so uh, when it comes to things like that, you have to think about the psychology of the person. Again, think of like the language of that person. So, um, you know, I just try to put, I think that's one thing that I've been really good at being able to do is like having, you know, the, the like social awareness of being able to put myself in that person's shoes and trying to feel the feelings that they would hopefully feel when they're watching the video for the first time or whatever. And I think a lot of times we tend to just kind of go through the motions of like, okay, what is, you know, what are the main things? And it's like, when you, when you're making an ad, my, uh, the, the first thing I try to think of is if I was showing this product to a friend, what's the first thing that I'm going to brag to them about? You know what I mean? Like I love that if question. I was taking like a supplement or something and I'm like, no fillers, like blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, just like all the little selling points that, that of course are important. But like, if I am taking a supplement and I actually feel like it works, I'm going to be like, Ashlyn, I started taking this stuff. Holy shit. Like it's insane. I started taking this stuff changed my life. My, I used to get like so many stomach aches and all the stuff gone, blah, 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 you know? And that's why UGC user generated content is like, so, you know, blown out of proportion because at the end of the day, we trust other people that are like kind of telling their side of the story versus like being like, our product does this, having someone else be kind of like almost like a mini spokesperson type of thing. Be like, guys, oh my God you know, this product, I used to be such a hater and all this stuff. My friend gave me some, oh my God, it totally works. You have to get some. 
And like shit like that works because at the end of the day, we're trusting other humans. Um, But the problem is now I think we we're starting to get a lot of fatigue around those type of ads. Um, I think they're probably going to be going away pretty soon. But um, I've I've been thinking about this a lot recently, actually, about like what the psychology around that type of stuff is, because like think about when you buy something on Amazon, how long you spend like looking at all the reviews and stuff like that. And it's like. But how many of those reviews are bots? How many of those reviews are people that were paid? How many, you know, and it's like, it's all a fucking game. And it's hard to like figure out what the like truth of the situation is, you know? For sure. And it sounds like as humans, we're always trying to pick up on the honest truth. And that's probably why, like you mentioned, that the trends change so often because then we start to pick up on that trend because all the companies jump on it. And then we're like, okay, well, wait, I'm seeing this everywhere else. So now I'm calling bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Like marketers ruin everything. Um, and so like you just have to figure out what is authentic, what is actually like, you know, because on one hand, you do kind of have to be not slimy, but you have to figure out like what's going to convince someone to buy this thing. If you are a genuine business and you spend a lot of time and effort like crafting an amazing product, that's not being disingenuous to try to figure out ways to sell that product. But if you know that your product is inferior to what's in the marketplace and you're just like drop sipping some like shitty backpack from Alibaba or something that falls apart and you know that, but you're touting it as this amazing travel backpack and it's like perfect for this and it's got all these pockets and blah, blah, blah. Um, and you're showing these influencers using it, whatever, that are paid, uh, you know, it's like that that works. But for how long until right. you've gotten scammed by X amount of companies that are doing the same shit? Okay, so let's think about someone who is an like a solopreneur or like a coach, kind of like yeah. a me type personality uh-huh. or a consultant. How could like how would you translate the advice that you just gave to someone like that to sort of instead of say it's a uh, a like e-commerce product it's yeah. a service and they're actually really authentically like believe in their product or their service and they want to create content and they want to sell it do you feel like there's anything that translates um i think number one i mean it's kind of cliche because i i mean i just love podcasting but like making a podcast is probably one of the best things you can do um but I think like talking head videos, talking to camera um, is great. Um, but if there's ways that you can get creative and like make videos that are just so insanely valuable that people want to pay you, you know what I mean? Like people almost feel guilty, like not paying you. Like, um, you know, I, again, I keep bringing up Gary Vee, but he was so like formative for me to kind of understand a lot of these marketing principles. Like his first three books are amazing. Um, but like, basically the the concept of like just giving so much value up front that people almost feel like guilty to not be paying you or when they get the opportunity to pay you um like they will readily open their wallet swipe their credit card whatever and i think like for for me uh you know you you a you've got to make it easy for people to pay you so like just figuring out those ways that like people can be paying you um but number 2 i think like a lot of people try to like gatekeep you know because they're selling info right like they're selling a a, a thing so they're like well i don't want to give away too much and it's like dude it's not really about that like 
typically when people are buying like a course or something, they're buying like a structure and a system. And if it's just like available on your YouTube channel for free, that's great. But like, maybe you're not exactly telling them the order to listen to anything and like they didn't pay anything for it. So also are they going to really take action on it? Exactly. Um, yeah. And so I think like, number one, you should be treating vertical content as your top of funnel only. Like don't really be thinking about making vertical content for your main audience. Like I would be making vertical content for top of funnel people that don't know who you are and people that are uh, like brand new to like what you're doing because at the end of the day, Instagram reels, TikTok, and YouTube shorts, they're all algorithmically delivered content platforms, meaning that no one's making a choice to watch your stuff. They're, it's just being served to people based on if they think, if the algorithm thinks that you'd be in, interested in it. So what that means is uh, like if you're, making content that's like really kind of deeper level than that like top of funnel kind of stuff it's getting served to brand new people still too but at the same time like they might not be ready for those like concepts yet so if you're thinking about like your content as like a funnel like personally i think i would be creating all my vertical stuff as top of funnel aiming it all towards people that are brand new to you maybe don't know who you are all that kind of stuff and then um, you know, if you're not making long form stuff on YouTube, I honestly think like that's kind of the next step because YouTube is the long game. It's the best platform for creators. They actually pay you. Um, it's not going anywhere. It, it's, it's super OG. Like it's, it's going to be around for a long time. I think it's very safe to build on there. I would not be spending tons of time trying to build your audience on TikTok. Like that is fleeting. Uh, same thing with like, like at the end of the day, a lot of these platforms that you're, you know, you're like, you're saying like, I'm not getting the views or whatever. It's like, cause people have figured out that you can just get free views just by posting dumb shit. Like yeah. you know how many dumb videos you've watched that are like, the algorithm doesn't want you to know this or like some dumb shit. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're right. I watched it. <laughs> scroll you know what i mean right like, and you never buy any of their products like or like you never become a fan you don't follow them Maybe. yeah like some a lot sometimes. of times it does work sometimes yeah but a lot of times going crazy viral like that when you use all of these little weird hacks it doesn't really bring you aligned people it just brings you a bunch of random random shit yeah exactly yeah. and i think about like andrew huberman for example like his stuff on Twitter, his stuff on Instagram, his stuff on, you know, these short form things, they are actionable and they're very valuable, but that ultimately makes me want to dive deeper. And then maybe I'm listening to his podcast. And then it's like over time, uh, you know, I've listened to X amount of hours of this guy's voice in my head and he's actually providing real value to me. As soon as he launches something that I can actually buy, I'm buying it. I'm supporting him. I want to do that. And that's like, what, um, you know, originally uh, Gary Vee like was talking about in his original books is like, just just make stuff. So then when the time comes that you actually want to launch something, you have an audience, a captive audience that like loves you. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always tell people that are just starting out where, you know, they don't have any online presence whatsoever. And they're like, all right, I want to start a coaching business or I want to start this thing. And I'm like, well, step one is to create an online community somewhere, whether that's a podcast, whether that's Facebook, whether that's TikTok, whether that's Instagram, 
because you have to start creating that community first and like share your journey and just document your life and share value. And then you can always launch something later because you've built this community, but it's very hard to just launch something right out of the gate when you don't have, you don't have an audience. You don't have anyone who knows or cares about what you have to say. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to establish yourself as an expert in something. I mean, Tim Ferriss talks about this in like four hour work week. Like it's very easy to become an expert in something. Um, and that's what, like, I remember back in the day, like Facebook ads courses were like super hot and it's like, okay, great. You know, all you guys have a Facebook ads course. Whose course did you take that you learned all that shit. Cause I want to take that guy's course actually not <laughs> yours. You know what I mean? And it's like all this like gatekeepy kind of weird stuff. And hey, it's, like, it's kind of like a multi-level marketing. It totally is. No. And, and it's, and it's also sad because I mean, I've seen it a lot in the e-com industry. Like, and it's funny to say e-com because it's like everything is e-commerce unless you're just not selling online. But when I say e-com, I mean like typically like physical products being sold online mainly the traffic is coming from like Google ads and Facebook ads and stuff like that meta. Um, by the way, like no one's really buying stuff from TikTok ads. You know what I mean? Like people are buying stuff from small businesses on TikTok cause they want to support those small businesses, but like, they're not like, like running ads on TikTok, like just from what we've seen as an agency, not very profitable. Um, but if you figured it out, congrats, but yeah, but anyways, um, I've seen it all. And, you know, you, you, you like, that's the other thing is it's really hard to figure out like who's just like selling bullshit and who's actually making original things. And it's very easy to like figure out, not necessarily easy, but you can figure out trends of like where things are going. Um, find a company that's actually developed something amazing, contact a Chinese knockoff, you know, company that's going to be able to make use the the same type of product that's already kind of popping off, but just a knockoff version, copy their ads, copy their whole strategy, whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, uh, for me, it's like, that's just not, that's not like adding, that's not adding to the world. It's not adding value to the, to like the marketplace. You're actually just creating more noise. And like, I saw this amazing quote, um, recently by Tiago Forte. He's, um, the author of a book called building a second brain. The quote from Tiago says, we're drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. And basically the idea about creating content is like, people have this idea about creating content where they need to like sit down and like, you know, film something or whatever. But what are those things that make you curious? What are those things that you have thoughts about that you believe that you don't feel like other people have like realized yet? And that's, those are the things that you need to be sharing, you know, as a, it's almost like your duty as a human to like share these things. And basically uh, he says in the digital age, the there's like four steps, basically capture, organize, distill and express. So capture is like, as soon as you have one of those ideas, writing it down in whatever you're like dumping note app of choice, then organizing it. So actually like taking the time maybe once a week to go back in your notes of all that random brain scramble and try to make sense of it and put it in places where you can actually do something with it. 
Like if I'm making a you, if, if I don't know that I'm going to be making a YouTube video about something, but I have like so many random little quotes and things about certain topics that like interest me. So now when I, maybe in a year, when I go to like make a video about that, I've got all this shit to pull from and I don't have to think, Oh, where was that quote? What was that tweet? What was that thing? What was that book? Right. You've got it all organized. Um, and you can organize it in notion. You can organize it in Evernote, whatever your thing is, but like keeping your stuff organized and then distilling it. Editing is like one of the most important things. Like people think about editing, literally like editing is just cutting out all the unnecessary shit. Like when you're thinking about editing, when I'm editing a video, it's like, what are the things that maybe are still good, but don't need to be there? You know what I mean? Like there's so many videos that I end up watching that are, you know, very amateur, not very amateur, even just sometimes like just kind of amateur where it's like, that was a decent point, but it didn't contribute to the overall thing. And it's like, there's a point there, there's a place for not always knowing exactly where something's going. That's why I love podcasting because we can just sit here and have this conversation and people can choose to listen to the whole thing or not, or they can go and just watch the vertical clips and get those little nuggets. And like, that's all they want. But if they want to hear more and they want to hear maybe like that thought process, that's where like a podcast is an amazing place to almost like hash out your ideas or debate things or like have a conversation about something rather than like talking to the camera and being like, I'm going to teach you about this. Because like maybe you're not even fully comfortable talking about it yet. And that's why I love podcasting too, because you can almost kind of like talk through your ideas, maybe get challenged a little bit and then realize like, oh, actually this feeling that I had, maybe it, it is this thing, but it's also like, there's this caveat of this other thing that I wasn't thinking about or whatever. And then the final step is expressing it. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta have those ideas, write them down, organize them in a way that you can actually like do something with it, distill it to only the most valuable stuff, and then share that with the world. And it's almost like, your duty to do that, in my opinion, like, especially as someone who's like a solo on solopreneur, whatever, it's like, that is your duty to share truth with the world. You know what I mean? Like, we're at the end of the day, we're all trying to help each other and like, make each other better. So like, if I know something that I think is valuable to me, like I should be trying to express that to the world. But the problem is, is there's so much noise and there's so much, uh, competition for attention with bullshit that you got to get really good at figuring out how to compete against the noise and actually make stuff that's not only uh valuable and truthful but entertaining enough that people are going to actually want to watch it and want to spend their time learning or watching because we've all gotten sucked into like really long YouTube videos where we're like holy shit I just watched this thing for like 20 minutes I was not expecting to watch the whole thing but because it was so good I'm, I like learned something and I watched this thing. And like I said, I think it's like your duty to do so. And you not learning how to edit or learn lighting or learn audio or learn uh, Photoshop or even just learning the language of these platforms, like you're actively choosing to not learn the language of the internet. And I think that's where a lot of people, they, they like don't understand. They're like, how do I get my voice heard? And it's like, we're living in a time where literally all of that has been democratized. You don't need permission to do all these things. Like 
I think like the future of the internet, the future of the world is like trustless, permissionless, and like we should be able to do what we want without having to depend on like other outside factors. Like I should be able to share my voice and be heard by anyone on earth without needing to like go through the radio or go through uh, the broadcasting system and like be featured on like a TV show. Like now I can just make a YouTube video and pretty much everyone on earth, besides if you live in like a communist country can watch that video, you know? And now in real time, we can translate those videos and captions can be made in different languages and things like that. And so like we're, we're, we're stepping into a world where like, we are able to share our voices, um, but now the barrier to entry is so low yeah. that you have to step your shit up and you can't just make something that sucks. Like you have to make something that's good. And so in order to do that, you have to get to a certain threshold. Like we're sitting in this studio right now. It's not the most expensive setup in the world, um, but it is expensive. Like we're shooting on cameras that cost multiple thousand dollars. These microphones are, uh, you know, all, all together. The audio recording setup is thousands of dollars. The lighting is, thousand, uh, you know, over a thousand dollars, whatever. And it's like, it's not as much as a multi-million dollar recording studio, but it's not an iPhone, you know? And like, we're elevating that because we realize the importance of attention and importance of, of having our voices heard and also respecting the audience as a viewer. Like if I'm a viewer, I don't want to look at shitty video. I don't want to hear shitty audio. I want to hear something that's good. I want to hear something that makes sense. And, um, you know, and I want to listen to an intentional conversation where we're not, uh, you know, we're, we're hopefully sharing valuable things and we're not just like bullshitting. Granted, there's a lot of entertainment podcasts that are just purely bullshitting and that's fine because people are funny and I like listening to them. But like at the end of the day, I think you have to imagine your content as a gift for the viewer how are you presenting that gift like if i gave you a gift for your birthday i'm not just gonna be like here you go like i'm gonna like put it in a nice box or like whatever and i'm gonna put gift wrap around it i'm gonna that's your thumbnail like i'm gonna write a little note that's like the content of it like it makes you feel something whatever like you need to think about your content as a gift to the audience and if you as a viewer would be like that was a shitty gift like i don't care then don't fucking make it like literally don't make it Mm, yeah, I love it. Yeah. Quality over quantity for sure. And then, Hey, there's other people that would say quantity over quality though, you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, like Gary V himself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Gary V like, uh, again, like you kind of have to take him with a grain of salt, but I think when he talked about making so much content back in the day, the thing that a lot of people didn't understand is that he was actually talking about like um, at a certain point, he was talking about making ads like ads are not the same thing as organic posting. Like if you are a lawyer and you're not ma- if you're a personal injury lawyer and you serve the southeast or whatever, and you're not making specific ads for those regions where you're like, hey, what's up, Gwinnett County, blah, 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 blah. Like if I live in Gwinnett County and I'm being targeted, I'm probably going to be like, oh, wow, that like this guy actually like knows who, you know, he like people are going to feel more, uh, you know, connected to you because you're like, they're like, Oh, I don't want to just go with any personal injury lawyer. I want to go with someone that like knows my area or knows my town or like whatever the case is. And so like, if you're making ads that are just very generic, like you're going to reach a very generic audience versus if you are making content, that's like hyper niche specific things. And then you're targeting those people, you're going to have a way better experience. Like, you know, for example, uh, 
I could be selling one product. Maybe I have one skew of this product, but if I make six different ads with six different actors, all targeting six different demographics of people, I'm gonna have a way better time than if I'm just making six ads that are all just generic, trying to hit everybody. Because if I make an ad that's for moms, I'm gonna say different things in there. If I'm making ads that are for a 25 to 35 year old male, I'm gonna be speaking in a way different language. I'm gonna be choosing different music. I'm gonna be doing a different voiceover. I'm gonna be using a different actor, whatever. But the product is still the same. It's just about how I'm like talking about the product. So it's like, I think with with quantity over quality there, it's like, um, you know, you it's always a balance. Um, you know, with social media, it's like, the ultimate quality is Hollywood. The ultimate quantity is like Twitter, you know, it's like, and you got to kind of like figure out where that balance is. And I think for, for, you know, like a solopreneur, whatever, it's like, you got to kind of just look at what's happening there, like in that marketplace and like what the type of stuff that you're consuming and where that threshold is of where is the quality becoming an actual factor that I won't pay attention and then just making sure you're matching that quality or going right. a little above because like I can, I can listen to a podcast. That's like a zoom podcast. If the, if the quality of the content is good enough, right. but if the, if the content isn't, if, if what's being spoken about, I don't have enough curiosity to like care, then I'm probably like not going to listen. There's been so many podcasts where I want to support people and I want to like, you know, give them some listens or give them a chance or whatever. And I listened to the very first episode and the audio quality is garbage. It's like, I'm sorry, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm past that threshold where I'm just not gonna, I'm not going to listen. Yeah. There's totally a threshold for sure. Yep. So oftentimes where I get stuck is I have tons of ideas all the time. And I loved what you said before about, you know, capturing the idea and then organizing it and then distilling it and then creating it essentially. Um, but I think that it's like, and I mean, you're a creative director, so you're literally taking ideas into physical reality in the form of content all the time. And, I, yeah, like, I guess my question is just, yeah, I get stuck all the time, get an idea, but then it's like, how do I now translate that idea into physical reality? And then I'm like, well, I could go this direction. I could go this direction. Like, I don't know. It gets really confusing. Yeah. I think for me, um, when it comes to, um, ideation, like, like in the second brain movement that like Tiago Forte pretty much started the, the concept that he talks about a lot is like your brain is, is designed for having ideas, not storing them. So like your brain is going to be good at coming up with stuff all the time. You don't like when you get that spark of inspiration, I don't know where it came from, but like it came from something. And if it was meaningful enough for me to like kind of note that in my own head, it's probably good enough to write it down somewhere so that I can like revisit that later. Okay. Well I do that. I will say I capture, I would say I'm really good at step number one, which Mm -hmm. is capturing it. And then I would say I'm, I'm a little iffy at organizing, but I do, it's like, I have notes and notes and notes of ideas. Mm -hmm. Right. But then it's like, do I execute it? It's almost like deciding, okay, is this a quality enough idea to then execute into a a thing and it's kind of hard it's like how do you validate your ideas almost yeah i think um number one uh like i think when it comes to the those ideas and stuff it's like 
you got to kind of also balance what the priority is and like the reason why you would make it. So like if it's money motivated, you kind of have to figure out like, okay, what is that actual flow of like, is this going to make me money? The the video that's going to cost you like the most amount of money isn't the video that's going to make you the most amount of money. Like there's there's a threshold for sure. And like for us, the video the the stuff that might make us the most money might be a freaking still graphic that was made on Photoshop or Canva in like 10 minutes. Like that might be the thing at the bottom of the funnel that actually gets people to click the shop now button. But it's like, what were all the things that you showed them before that that got them to the point that they trusted you enough that they actually are going to buy it? Because they're not just going to buy something. Like, think about your own buying behaviors. Like, you're not just buying something just because you saw one video about it. Like, that doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, granted, that can happen. It's not like that's not impossible. But the average person that is going to be buying your product is not an idiot. Like, they need a f- bunch of different touch points before they're going to, like, buy from you. So it's like thinking about your own content from that standpoint of like, what are the touch points that like, if I was, you know, consuming this content or if I was a potential like customer or client or whatever, like what are those things that like I would need to know and feel and like see from this person and um, figure out different ways of delivering that like all the time. Um, And then also like when it comes to figuring out, like you were saying, you know, you have all these ideas and figuring out which ones to execute on. I think it also depends on like your timeline too. Like is your long-term goal to do this like for a very long time or is this just something you're doing to make money right now? But like ultimately it's not really your passion, but you know, you're good at it enough that you can do this thing. If that's the case, then like, you know, run up some shorts and you know, whatever. But like, if you're really trying to make this thing a long-term deal, I mean, I think investing in YouTube is the number, like the number one platform as far as actually investing and building something there as far as social media goes um, because it's like the one platform that actually pays their creators on a fair basis um, just simply for views like it's kind of insane to think about that you can make money on YouTube for views think about how many views people get on TikTok and Instagram daily and they're not seeing a fucking cent a cent and the creator program is bullshit it's all based on an arbitrary number um, and once you start making so much money, uh, they can control how many views you get. So they're like, oh, you're making too much money. They shut off your fucking views. Like they don't care. You know, they're, they're not, they're, they're at the end of the day, they're there to make money. And, um, I think YouTube is one of the few platforms that I really like, um, respect the direction that they're going. And I think like they're making a lot of great moves, um, towards making like YouTube shorts, a better experience, um, the, the overall YouTube experience better and things like that. And like, I, I think like if you're thinking long-term thinking of like, how can I uh, create a strong library of content on YouTube that people, when they come across my channel are like, whoa, wow. Like I wish I would have discovered this person years ago or whatever the case is. Um, and I feel like on a lot of these other platforms, and, and also keep in mind, YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world, second only to Google, which is owned by, um, you know, YouTube is owned by Google. So when people are searching for things, they're going to be looking for information in a lot of different ways. Some people gravitate more towards like blogs and written articles and things like that. And like, I'm a person that gravitates towards video. So like when I'm looking for the answer to something, like a lot of times I'm looking up a YouTube video of someone like telling me how to do that thing. And so if you're there to like teach them that thing, 
um, and you're doing it better than any of the other stuff that's that's out there, then like your videos are going to get views forever. That's like evergreen content. Like evergreen content is stuff that's like highly searchable and like is going to be valuable like year over year, no matter what. And then there's like kind of your more like um, topical type of stuff that's like going to be, it's probably going to live and die within like a one or two week cycle. And that's like fine. Um, but at the end of the day, like thinking about what type of like kind of like legacy you want to have online and then like having that be your North star of like the type of content that you want to make. And like, again, thinking about it from like a gift perspective, like what's the type of thing that I want to like leave on the world? Like what's the most valuable stuff that I can like share and like, you know, give to people as like an actual, um, you know, piece of content. So that's kind of like how I would guide those things and figure out like what to make first, I guess. Beautiful. Well, on the topic of a gift, just to wrap this conversation up into a little bow, if you had a gift to give to the world and it Mm. was, you had to pick like one thing, like maybe one message, one mission, something that's important that you could impart as a gift to these podcast listeners. Yeah. What would you say? I would say that everything that you believe, everything you've been taught, everything that you know about life was figured out or made up by someone who's probably not that much smarter than you. And you are more powerful and more capable than you even know. And I even am like saying that message to myself because like at the end of the day, like what we believe, what culture is, like the clothes we're wearing, the things we're saying, the way we talk, the way we dress, it's all a collective like influencing of each other. And you can make a larger dent in the universe than you think. I mean, we all think about like the Steve Jobs, the Elon Musk, the Kanye West, like the people that have like made such a dent in the universe that it's like impossible to ignore their contributions. But why not you? You know what I mean? Like literally, why not you? Like maybe you don't have the IQ of Elon Musk. That's fine. But like, you know, there's so many people out there that are playing small. And when you play small, you're doing yourself and the world a disservice. So fucking go for it. Like help your friends achieve their goals. Like I, I loved like the other day when uh like um Meredith brought up Eric's um bio on his Instagram. It was like life is about helping your friends' dreams come true or something like that. And I was like, I fucking love that. It's like literally like we should all be trying to figure out like what are our friends dreams and then like what can we do to help them come true because you know i i don't necessarily believe in karma in the sense of like you know tit for tat or like it's some like actual thing that we can calculate somehow but it's like it's just human nature like if you help people they're gonna want to like figure out a way to help you back and stuff and um yeah i would say like stop playing small do that freaking thing if you have like that deep like knowing that you could do something if you really gave it your all, you owe it to yourself to give it your all. Like you owe it to yourself to not have that like regret in life and to go for it. So yeah. Hell yeah. I feel motivated. Fuck yeah. Thanks, Andrew. 